0: Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised again on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. It was the worst thing man could do. It was the most cruel invention man ever came up with, the cross. And... I don't minimize the wickedness of my sin and your sin that put him on that cross. But I tell you, it wasn't Jesus as a victim. It was Jesus as the victor. He came to offer his life a ransom for many.
1: Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message from chapter 17 titled, his life, a ransom for us. And we invite you to follow along with us now as we get started.
0: And I want to just reread the text because uh, this context, I think, is so valuable. Starting at verse sixteen or chapter 16, verse 27, he says, The Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then recompense every man according to his deeds. When Jesus Christ comes back, he comes as judge, and uh, he will judge according to merit. According to deeds. When Jesus Christ came to save, he saves, and this is always true in the scripture, he saves by unmerit, by grace. He saved me. I didn't deserve it. Anyway, truly I say to you, he said, there are some of those who are standing here, and he's looking at 12 of them, you know, so it's a kind of a close knit group. It's not like he's got a vast group of people. He says, there's some of you standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. Well, six days later, Jesus took with him some of those guys, Peter and James and John, his brother, and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured. He was transformed. He changed completely from the inside out. Metamorpho is the word. He was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. Last week I mentioned it. He, it was an unveiling, a partial unveiling. That's what the word revelation means. The last book of the Bible, the apocalypse, the covering is lifted. And so while he was here, people could say like they do today in Portland and in your office and in my neighborhood, you know, wherever we are, ah, he's a carpenter. He's a great guy had a lot to teach us. You know, people usually say at least patronizing things about him. But he was God in the flesh, but he was veiled so you could say that he was just a carpenter. But no, God humbled himself and became man. But when he lifted the veil just a bit, he was transfigured before them and they saw, and they couldn't describe it. His face shone like the sun. You couldn't bear to look. The glory. His garments became white as light. Mark's account, he said, like no launder on earth can whiten them. It was just like he couldn't put it into words. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. And Luke tells us what they were talking about. They were talking about the cross and the resurrection and his ascension, his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. They were enthralled with this, as we should be. Well, Peter, you know, he answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, we can take and make uh, three tents, you know, three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Well, he was still speaking. Peter didn't know what to say, and he, but that didn't keep him from talking. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Hear him. God the Father cleared his throat, so to speak. And while Peter's still speaking, this cloud overshadows them, and he says, this is my son. Don't be talking about Moses and Elijah and Jesus in the same breath, Peter. Don't be talking about three-tenths. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces, and they were much afraid. The The voice of God created great fear, the great voice of the Father. But the gentle voice of the Son, verse 7, Jesus came to them, touched them, and said, Arise, do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. What an amazing experience. John and Peter... uh, They wrote about it later in life. Uh, Peter, his last letter, when he knew he was close to death, he he wrote about this scene. I mean, you wouldn't get over it. And they saw nothing except Jesus when it was over. And I think that's at least a hint as to who we ought to be occupied with. Uh, Well, as they were coming down, our text now, verse 9, as they were coming down, From the mountain. And I would say, as they were coming down from a mountaintop experience, okay? The mountaintop experience. As they were coming down, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. You know, the multitudes were really not ready to hear what they'd seen. And he said, Don't don't even tell them what you've just seen until I've risen from the dead. And we've seen already that the the multitudes were enthralled with Jesus, but they were real ready to just make him an earthly king. When he fed the 5,000, they were ready to make him king, and he withdrew, because his mission the first time was not to set up a kingdom and some food lines and take care of everybody's needs. Uh, He came for much more than that. So he warns them not to tell anyone until he's risen from the dead. And by the way, I'm teaching the book of Acts in another, actually on Sunday mornings, and uh, I'm in that era when he has risen from the dead. The book of Acts picks it up from the resurrection, and then he said, go tell everybody. And, but he, then he said, don't leave until the Holy Spirit comes. And then the Holy Spirit came at the start of Acts, and we live in that era where we're to, to announce this. Uh, to everyone. Well, his disciples asked him, saying, Verse 10, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. And I think there's a natural question they ask. They had just seen the kingdom glory. And they had just seen Elijah. And they know the Old Testament closes, and it does, by the way. As you get to the final close of the Old Testament, it says Elijah's going to come and prepare the way for the Lord one of those many prophecies of the coming Messiah, the Old Testament closes, it's the end of end of Malachi. In our Bible, it's just one page, or maybe the page where you, you know, maybe there's, if you've got a decorative Bible, there might be a few places to put your family tree in or something. But basically, the Old Testament closes, there's usually a white page, and then you open Matthew. But that white page represents 400 years where God didn't raise up prophets. He left a 400... The Bible scholars call it the 400 silent years. And so Malachi leaves off by saying, Elijah's coming, and he will clear the way for the Lord. The New Testament opens with John the Baptist saying, clear the way for the Lord. So they're asking about Elijah, and uh, verse 11, Jesus answered and said, Elijah is coming, and will restore all things. Uh, I think that could be um, Jesus affirming. He came. You say, well, why does he put it in the present tense or the future tense almost? Well, perhaps he's saying it from the Old Testament standpoint. Elijah is coming. Uh, He could be, the future tense could be, that he's referring to what the book of Revelation says in Revelation 11. There are two witnesses going to be raised up before he comes again. Uh, I, I'll leave it at that. But John, he says, verse, verse 11 or verse 12, I say to you that Elijah already came. Now he gets very clear. And they didn't recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. What did they do? They beheaded John, and so also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Elijah came. They didn't recognize him, and they did whatever they wanted to to him, and that's what they wanted to do. That's what mankind wanted to do to the one who heralded Jesus, and what did mankind want to do to Emmanuel when he came? I mean, they crucified him. They're going to do to the Son of Man whatever they want. Now, when they came to the multitude, verse 14, a man came up to him, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. Jesus answered and said, Oh, unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him. And the demon came out of him. And the boy was cured at once. Now, just as the picture, or I should say the mountaintop, was a picture of the Lord in glory, it seems to me so this descent from the mountain is a picture of the Lord coming back to a world that is in bondage to Satan. And he came to set free people who were in bondage to Satan and to release us from the demonic possession and oppression and satanic blindness that this world has and uh, they come up to him you know we brought him we brought him to your disciples but they they couldn't do it and uh, I was reading some time ago Charles Spurgeon great preacher from yesteryear in London and uh, he had just a way of putting things he was a Christ saturated biblically saturated preacher And everything he said seemed to be about Christ and, and you know, just had a lot of biblical wisdom. But commenting on this verse where this man comes up and says, I I brought my son to your disciples. They couldn't do it. Spurgeon said, alas, poor man, thou dost speak as all have done since when they've trusted in disciples and not alone in their master. Uh, he said, your disciples couldn't handle it. And uh, the scene is pretty chaotic. It's, uh, if you read Mark's account, there's a crowd and there's people and there's chaos. And our Lord has just been up on the mountain with the Lord, so to speak, in the glory and with Moses and Elijah and contemplating the great exodus he's going to do when he departs and God's great plan of salvation. And in Mark's account... Mark says at this juncture right here verse 17 it sounds just a little bit harsh perhaps to your ears in Matthew's account Jesus answered oh unbelieving and perverted generation how long shall I put up with you? how long shall I be with you bring him here to me that could sound a little harsh but Mark tells us in added detail he sighed deeply in spirit he, it wasn't a rebuke really he just he sighed as he thought about. What, uh, what was going on down here on earth. And uh, he delivered the boy and he was cured at once. Well, then the disciples, verse 19, came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it shall move and nothing shall be impossible for you. It's because of the smallness of your faith. I tell you, if you had faith as a mustard seed, you could move mountains. Now, this isn't uh, an unconditional promise, nor is this to be, I don't think, taken with kind of a dead letteristic literalism. I remember as a kid reading this and hearing a preacher preach on this text and saying how we could move mountains if we just had the faith. And and he was speaking of immovable things, impossible things that God can accomplish if we'll ask him and ask him in faith. But I was sitting there bored, you know, as an eight-year-old or whatever. And uh, I remember looking at like at that green exit sign, only it was it, w- it was just like that. It was in front of me, an exit sign. And I thought, I'm going to ask God to move that exit sign. And he didn't. And I thought, well, I didn't have enough faith, so I really believed it would move. I closed my eyes, and I know it's going to move. And it still didn't. And he didn't give us this to teach us to, to do side tricks, you know. And in my youthfulness, I, I realized, I guess that's not really what the Lord wants me to be praying for. But he is teaching us that uh, God works through prayer. We had a team come back. From the Himalayas, just a couple weeks. I think I maybe mentioned it down here. Been so moved by what took place, but they went into a very difficult region in Nepal and climbed up where you can't get to these people without climbing. And many of these people had never heard the name of Jesus. And God brought great harvest as people who would li- lifelong been locked in darkness, when they heard of Jesus, they said, "I want Him. I want to receive Him." They responded in faith. And the backstory story was that this is one of the hardest places, not just physically, but spiritually in Nepal. And the Christians, the Nepali Christians, were not wanting to go into this region because they were so hostile to Christians. But they began to pray for this region. And for six, seven years, they prayed. And God did some amazing things. And because I know the team, and I was... Hearing, And I'm continuing to hear their story. I think it's changed the way all of us uh, pray for things here in Portland as well as in Nepal. Well, verse 22, while they were gathered together or gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised again on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. This is the second announcement. But this one is the first announcement of the betrayal. He's going to be delivered. He's going to be betrayed. Jesus, none of this caught Jesus by surprise. He didn't come down here and his death on the cross, and I've been mulling it over all week as I think about Friday. And my text basically... Friday night, it is finished. And that's in John 19. And we're going to read the whole 19th chapter of John, but the focus is Jesus' great cry at the end it's finished. Jesus didn't die as a victim, Jesus didn't die as a martyr. It was the worst thing man could do, it was the most cruel invention man ever came up with the cross. And I don't minimize the wickedness of my sin and your sin that put him on that cross. No wonder they were deeply grieved. But I tell you, it wasn't Jesus as a victim. It was Jesus as the victor. He came to offer his life a ransom for many. He came to die in my place. And in your place. And so this second announcement is uh, something that he gives the details once again. None of this caught him by surprise. They rightfully were deeply grieved. Well, when they'd come down to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax, which was the temple tax whereby the king uh, raised money for upkeep of the temple maintenance, and so it was an annual assessment on every Jew 20 years old old and up. It was just kind of an assessment per person, per capita, that you just um, paid to take care of the temple. Well, when they came down, those who were collecting that two drachma tax asked Peter, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? Well, Peter didn't have any idea whether Jesus paid the two drachma tax. But per usual, Peter said, well, yeah, yeah, he does. And when he'd come into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or pull tax? From their sons or from strangers? Upon his saying, Peter answered, well, from strangers. The king's kids don't have to pay the tax. He exacts the tax from the populace, not his children. And Jesus knew what Peter had said. He knew uh, knew Peter. He loved Peter, but he knew Peter. And he said, Peter, uh, who do the kings of the earth collect their tax from? And he said, well, from from their citizens, their strangers. Jesus said to him, consequently, the sons are exempt. (laughs) He had an exemption, huh? He didn't need to pay the two drachma tax. Uh, but, verse 27, lest we give them a fence, go to the sea, throw in a hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a stater. Take that and give them give it to them for you and me, Peter. <laughs> Can you imagine? April 15th is what, Friday? Wouldn't you like it if the Lord always did this? Hey, just go throw a line in and you'll get enough for your 1040 and mine and just go give it with you. Now the Lord is the king and I marvel at people that think that God couldn't speak the world into existence or have a fish arranged with a coin or take a lunch and multiply it. No, or take people in bondage to a an oppressive spirit and set us free the lord is the lord he's the king and some of you standing here he said are gonna see him come in his glory and then he took him up there and showed him but you know i want us to just focus on what the text focuses on he is the grand almighty king but he came to die and give his life a ransom for us and when peter said oh no lord He said, get behind me, Satan, on that one. And then when they saw into glory, what were they talking about? His departure. And when he got back down off the mountain and dealt with some more sin and oppression, and then he reannounced it, what's he talking about? His death. This weekend is not the only weekend by any means. We ought to focus on his death and resurrection every day of the week, 24-7, 365. But I encourage you to worship a risen Savior Sunday. Uh, if you don't have a place to worship, come on out to our church. But wherever you go to church, go worship the Lord and uh, focus on Him. And not just on these, what we say, high days, but every day.
1: You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, His Life, a Ransom for Us, a message from our study of the Gospel of Matthew. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to AbideInTheWord.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. Something we've been making available as a thank you gift for our listeners are USB flash drives loaded with Bible teaching series in their entirety. So currently, we're offering the entire teaching of the Gospel of Matthew. That's 109 full-length messages, over 50 hours of clear, Christ-centered Bible teaching on this important introductory book of the New Testament. We'd like to make these teachings available to you, our listeners. Just make your request, along with your gift of any size, to the ministry of Abide in the Word. You can do that during regular business hours by calling 503-524-7000 or... Mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. You can simply click on Contact Us at AbideInTheWord.us anytime. We'd love to put one of these valuable resources in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast.
0: Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven to come to jesus christ is not to just kind of adopt some views of him or to just kind of gradually clean your life up and go to church more no it is to turn around unless you're converted you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven So he says, let me tell you about what's really important. True humility, childlike humility. And uh, it's very parallel, isn't it, to Jesus' statement. Truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven.
1: Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott will bring a message titled, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.